Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. Today, we are talking about the questions you should never ask women and why. Today, I'm your host, Elizabeth Bashirs. You can call me Liz. And with me, I have Rachel Breyers. Hi. And Mary Scott Hunter. Hello. So I've been thinking a lot about the way that I guess social mores have changed in the last several years and the expectations of women have, have changed and what's expected from women has changed a lot in the last several years. And as a young woman in my late 20s, Uh, who does not yet have kids, there are a lot of questions that I feel like get asked of me um, very, very frequently. And and I started thinking about, okay, what are some of the questions that you maybe shouldn't ask women and and why? Um, I'll go ahead and start with, like I said, the the big baby question. Um, (laughs) That's Mary Scott laughing in the back. Sorry. (laughs) I have this conversation all the time. it's not funny. It's not, it's not, and it's not a nice question. <laughs> you shouldn't ask that question. <laughs> and I, I think it is asked by well-meaning people. Um, and, you know, f- for a long time, the script was kind of written for women. You, you, you finish school, whatever level of education you want to go through, you get married and then you have, a, you have children and you make a family that way. And I think more and more women are choosing to either delay that sequence of events, rearrange that sequence of events, or just choose not to have um, children or are unable to have children. So one of the reasons that that is such a, I think, touchy thing to ask women is uh, because according to the Center for Disease Control, well, let me ask you, how, how many, what percentage of women do you think have uh, trouble getting or staying pregnant? Mary Scott, Rachel, any uh. guesses? Well, that was part of my history. Um, I was, we had trouble having children and had to go to a, you know, go to doctors and spend money and try to figure all that out. So I would say it's probably a pretty significant number. And I didn't start my family until I was into my thirties. So of course now I'm into my forties and, um, moving on that way. And I've got a 15 year old and a 12 year old and 11 year old. So it's in the distant past now, but I think it's probably a large number. I would probably agree. I used to be part of a mother's ministry and just very often the kinds of prayer requests were, you know, we're trying to have a baby. So I, I think you're probably going to give us a high number, Liz. Uh, according to the Center for Disease Control, about 10% of women struggle to get or stay pregnant. But then the even larger number is that according to the March of Dimes research, uh, between 15 and 25% of pregnancies will end in miscarriage. Now, a mm number of those happen before um, the woman even knows that she's pregnant. But still, that is, I mean, that's a, that's a tragically high number. And it's one, you know, I, I've had multiple friends um, express to me how heartbreaking it is for them to hear, you know, so why don't you have kids yet? I'm like, well, heck, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it the old college try. Um, but then on a, a completely uh, different side of things, um, like I said, a lot of, of women, especially women my age, are coming out of college with high student debt. 
they're coming out of college saying, oh, maybe I'm not ready to get married yet. Maybe I want to go, you know, live in New York for a while and do this and do that. Or um, like in Mary Scott's case, was in the military for several years and went to law school. And there, so there are lots of reasons that um, women, uh, particularly millennial women, are delaying having children. Um, according to data from the Urban Institute, birth rates among 20-something women have declined 15% between 2007 and 2012. So that's that's a significant number, a significant so number. So that question of when are you going to have a baby is, <laughs> might be from, there's probably something driving that. Maybe, maybe it's probably some average, concern that we're not having enough of them or something. I, well, they're, they're, I mean, maybe the average $26,000 <laughs> in student debt that the average person graduates with or finishes school with um, has something to do with it. And and like I said at the very beginning, maybe it has something to do with just kind of, you know, cultural changes. Um, now, again, on the flip side of that, uh, I'm a member of a large family. And uh, Mary Scott has three children and, and Rachel has a large family too with five children. You get asked a lot of questions about that too. <laughs> what are some questions oh, yes. that, that you have heard, um, Mary, Rachel and Mary Scott, about your uh, the decisions surrounding your families? Oh, I just, not too long ago, I, I was asked, am I going to have any more? And I thought, what are you, insane? <laughs> no. <laughs> But I did think it was kind of a weird question. I'm 45 years old. I mean, but I guess that's not abnormal today. Women my age are having babies, some some of them having first babies. So, um, but I did think in the theme of today, it was sort of a weird question. Um, but, you know, coming from the right place. So I answered it as best I could. Um, I feel like for our family, and, and I've started to realize that I can see this question on the tip of somebody's mind, and they're trying to decide whether to ask it or not. And most of the time, I think nowadays they don't ask it because there are so many blended families. So when I say, oh, I have five children, I see somebody start to say, are they all yours? Because, you know, we could be coming from previous marriages and bringing children with us. But um, and there's really it's kind of funny because I take pride in the fact that they all are all mine. You know, I had five babies. I'm a little bit proud of that. And so I kind of want to tell them. But there's also no way to say that very politely and be like, I have five children and they're all mine. I, I birthed all five of those children. It just, it just like doesn't come out in conversation. So there's no way, pol no polite way to say it. Um, so another, and, 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 you know, really I'm trying to learn how to have grace about this subject because no one is trying to catch me in a trap or catch us in a trap or hurt us with their inquiries. But I, People just might not understand the situations of the people that are, they're asking this. Um, on a completely different subject, though, the next question I get asked a lot as a woman in my 20s is, as, uh, when are you going to get a real job? Really? So I am, <laughs> I am um, blessed enough and lucky enough and I've worked hard enough to be uh, self-employed and um, get to travel a lot and, and work with all kinds of different clients, but it's not what some would consider a real job. Now, my husband also works for a, a company that participates in what's called the gig economy. Um, and so lots of the, the, he works for a company called Shipped, and um, they deliver groceries through an app, kind of like Uber, but for groceries. And a lot of the people that work with them, they're contract employees, and they have this side hustle of delivering groceries, much like an Uber driver has this side hustle of, of driving Uber or Lyft um, on nights and weekends. So the question, like I said, the question I get is, when are you going to get a real job? Hopefully never. You do get questions about your job that you think, oh, I mean, 
I I can't talk to you about. I get I get questions from because I'm a lawyer, people wanting me to draft their wills or you know do do a real estate closing for them or you know something that I don't do. <laughs> I'm a corporate lawyer, uh, so. And I kind of, sometimes that question, you know, they're just asking for guidance and asking where to go. But sometimes that question gets a little awkward because especially if it's a family member or somebody that's close to you and they really want you to, they really don't want to pay. That's the issue. Oh, I cannot imagine being put in that situation. Oh, wait. Yes, I can. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for most of us, we don't necessarily know what goes into other people's jobs. So I completely understand. For me, if somebody says... Hey, can't you um, can't you just write up a quick speech? You know, just five to ten minutes. Can't you just, or can you just come and give a talk? And you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, I I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. That's going to take many, many, many hours. It might seem like it's five minutes of talking or ten minutes of talking, but as y'all know, because y'all give talks too, it, it that takes a lot of preparation. And so, or you know, or can't you just write up an article real quick? And you're thinking wow, like you don't know what what all goes into that. That is not a real quick thing, especially if you're a perfectionist, like I know y'all are and I am. Yeah. I mean, if you're good at your job, it's, it's, it's pretty awkward when somebody asks you to do something that does take time and that you are paid for. That is part of your make a living part of you. And they're asking you to do it. Ah, Anyway. Yes. Awkward, awkward question that probably shouldn't have been asked. Well, according to Gallup, 36% of Americans have some sort of alternative side gig, side hustle um, situation going on as their primary way of, of making an income. So this is a this is a segment of our economy that is growing and growing quickly. And maybe that question will become you know, the question of, oh, you just do that on your side, so you're willing to do it for free, or that's not a real job. Um Maybe that will become a thing of the past. So moving on into maybe some of your stories, uh, Rachel, as a woman in your 30s, what are some of the questions that you hear uh, that really grind your gears? <laughs> well, I'll just share that you know, as a mother, I guess we're kind of coming out of this stage where we go to the store, all of us, and they're just babies hanging hanging off of me and little children hanging off the cart. Um, we're not really in that stage anymore because my youngest is five. They all go to school. But you know, when I was in a time when, let's say, I had five under the age of seven, and we would maybe during the summertime just traipse about Target together, <laughs> if anybody came up to me and just had the nerve to give me that dreaded poke on the shoulder and begin a sentence that said, did you know your child dot, 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 and I'll, oh, I'll, no. I'll fill in some blanks, <laughs> has a runny nose? Or did you know your child doesn't have on shoes? Or did you know your child just <laughs> ate a cookie off the floor? <laughs> It's called building an immune system. I mean, to me, it's just like there's no more stressful environment than trying to get through the grocery store with all of these children and just to come to have the nerve to come up to me and lay it on that my child is doing something that is warranting your attention and, you know, you're provoking your ire that I need to know about. I'm like, unless it's an emergency. Don't ask me that question that's actually a statement. (laughs) First cousin to that are the questions that your children ask others uh, when they are curious about something that they see. And we exchanged some text messages about this. And I guess I cracked Liz up somewhere when my daughter and I were in an elevator at the beach. And (laughs) I I know what's coming and I just cannot. (laughs) 
daughter looked at this guy and said, are those earrings in your boobies? <laughs> I wanted to fall through the floor and I was in an elevator, so I couldn't even walk away and pretend she wasn't my daughter. <laughs> Oh, the questions that our kids ask. I mean, my my middle daughter, I'll never forget us walking into the store. And she said to the, the lady walking ahead, um, excuse me, why is your bottom so big? Oh, no. <laughs> and there's nothing you can say at that point. And I did apologize. And, and you know what the lady said? Good for her. She goes, you know what, honey? It's okay. My bottom is big. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank goodness. This lady has a sense of humor. That is too funny. Too funny. But it isn't funny in the moment. I mean, you're mortified in the moment when they when they ask that when they ask an awkward question. But you know, it's they're they're curious and they they as opposed to adults um, really can't self regulate. And uh, you know, awkward questions. And I, I'm sure I've asked them. I'm sure I'm guilty of it. But you know, your children, kids are going to ask questions, and that's really more of a funny thing than anything else. Or when they ask questions that implicate you because you've told them, like, I think, Mary Scott, you had an example of that where your children are like, but my, why do you do that? My mommy says that that's, that means that, you know, you know your <laughs> yeah. parents don't care about that you. was, oh, you let your children drink Coke? My mom says parents shouldn't let children drink Coke. <laughs> so a few other questions that I, in my research on this episode that I, I found were recurring for women in their 30s. So what are you going to settle down and get married? Oh yeah. This one is probably especially fun for because uh, many you know many women who aren't quote unquote settled down with a man in their 30s is because they either don't want to be or they really, really want to be and just haven't found the right person yet. And you know, the corollary to that is aren't you being a little picky? Beggars can't be choosers. Well, ladies, if there's one thing I know <laughs> is that I would rather be single than married to the wrong person. Oh yeah. I mean that. I can vividly recall when I was in law school and deciding to join the JAG Corps and go off into the Air Force, my grandmother saying to me, how are you going to find a husband? <laughs> how dare you yeah, have a law be... degree? How are you going to get a husband with a how law you degree? Find a husband? <laughs> of course, if, if there's one decision you should be picky about in your life, it is probably the person you marry. <laughs> Just saying. As I'm listening, though, I'm starting to think I'm, I'm terribly sure that I am probably one of those question askers, like, and if, like asking probate, I'm thinking I probably am as I'm listening. So I'm, maybe I need to take the other or represent the other side and just listen and learn. But I think probably I've got a couple things that make me do that. So first of all, I'm a journalist. So there's sort of that natural tendency to ask questions and not worry if they're rude or not. Um, and I, I, I'd say I am pretty curious about other people and who they are and how they live. But I'll also admit that I'm one of those introverts that um, I can get a little socially awkward. And I remember years and years ago reading Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and just being so excited and encouraged by his advice for navigating conversations and social situations that, you know, me as a somewhat shy person back then would get anxious about. And I remember he said somewhere in there, you know, just ask questions and listen and whomever you're talking to will think you are a great conversationalist. And so I think that's what I started to do. And, um, you know, I think that can get you into trouble sometimes because you open your mouth and start asking a question and you aren't really sure what you're asking. You just know that you're supposed to ask a question. And so something comes out and you offend someone with your not well thought out wording. So I could see myself asking, like Mary Scott, you had mentioned, there are ways to ask questions that of a professional woman that make you feel 
like not a great mom or whatever. I could see myself being like, <sighs> so tell me how you, you know, how do you do it, Mary Scott? And, <laughs> and I'm just trying that. to make a conversation. <laughs> Yeah, so to me, do you, do you, uh, you do get the question all the time and, 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 you know, women now work, they work from home, they work, you know, they job share, they, you know, they go into offices part-time, they, you know, but some of them work full-time. I pretty much work full-time in an office, except, you know, when I'm, you know, when I'm out for an errand or something, but, um, or, or doing this podcast with you guys, but I, you do get the question and like, there's nuances to this question, but are you taking care of your kids or are you taking care of your husband? And sometimes it's like, wink, wink, I'm winking. Y'all can't see me. I'm winking. Like, you know, like they're asking, like, do you do it? (laughs) Are you taking care of him? Do you have time? Really? I'm surprised by that. They're just making sure he's okay. I guess. Um, I usually answer. I still fold his underwear. So Yes, I still do the laundry. laundry. Oh, that's too funny. I mean, so uh, I think, um, well, as as somebody who travels quite a bit for work right now, this hasn't happened to me recently, but a couple of years ago, a older gentleman asked me, he said, so does your, is your husband okay with you traveling this much for work? Does he is almost like, does he let you travel? like this for work. And I just, I, I was stunned. Did you just tell him he lets me off the leash every now and then? Every now and then. <laughs> every now and then he lets me go. Gives me a little run. <laughs> I, I just, I was, I was so flabbergasted by it. I mean, I usually have a retort for everything, but that one, I think, I think my jaw actually dropped open. <laughs> That was your husband. That, that, that you. one merited a retort. So another one that I really um I kind of love to hate is aren't you a little bit old to be doing that? Um, whether it's starting a new career, going back to school, going skydiving, trying out a new style, getting a haircut, getting your hair colored. I mean, can we get can we get past um this idea that it's you're you're one day just magically too old or a little too old to to be trying something new. Do you get do you get asked that question? Because you're to, to me and Mary Scott, you are very young. So I'm yes. like, are you, I'm like, are you getting those questions? Because what does that say about you're us like a little sister to... that we're that we're envious of? Yes. You know, <laughs> like I'm looking at in your background of your perfect living room and your <laughs> your lovely dining room. <laughs> Oh, well, th- y'all are so sweet. Thank you very much. But yeah, I mean, especially when, if I think about, you know, going back in one day, maybe going back to school or something like that, um, I've had that conversation with people and she's like, I mean, is it a little too late to start over? Well, I hope it's never too late to get more education. Well, I went back to, I went back, I went to law school kind of in the course right after college, but I went back for my MBA uh, when I was 44 years old. Uh, 43 years old, finished it at 45 years old. So just finished it last May. And Nellie, I got asked that question. Aren't you a little old? Aren't you a little past this? <laughs> no, in fact, I'm not. So what about Mary Scott questions that you've gotten in your forties, maybe that irritate the heck out of you? Oh, you look really good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I guess that's more of an oh, observation. They, 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 they you look, you look really good for 45. Four, yeah, I was about to say they add the four. Like, four, you look four, really four. Like, I'm 46. I keep forgetting how old I am. Oh, no. 46. Yeah, so that's more of an observation. But um, I, you get questions about where you are progressing in your career. Um, how long, you know, you start thinking at this point, how long, you know, people will ask you. They do 
wonder about your age at this point and they want to know how old you are, uh, but they don't sometimes want to ask that question directly because it is awkward and most everyone knows that question is awkward, but I really don't mind it. I, I really am very, very proud of, I don't know. I feel like I feel be, I've felt great at every age, but I feel great at 46. I, I think one that uh, women of all age get is you look tired. Did you get enough sleep last night? <laughs> oh, thank you for telling me that I look bad. I appreciate it. Or you look sick. Oh, are, is every, <laughs> are you sick? I especially love it when I get that question when I just, you know, happen to go to the store or something without makeup on. I'm like, no, I feel great. I'm just not wearing makeup right now. Sorry. Another fun one that is a, um, appropriately frustrating um, for women of any age, probably people of, of any age, is are you really going to eat all that? I mean, enough said, right? I, I have to tell you, I am like scratching my mind to think when is the last time someone was truly rude enough to like say some of these questions? I'm thinking, did anyone say that to me recently besides maybe, I don't know, a fa- like a close family member? Are you going to eat all that? Like maybe my kids saying, because I want it. <laughs> But, oh, you know, this is not necessarily from a stranger. If my husband looks and says that to me, I'm going to give him some side eye. (laughs) I'm hungry. I do think the awkward questions often do come from close family members or people that are close friends even or, you know, people that are in your circle. And I think the topic is funny and but it also has a serious side in the sense that, you know, there can be some questions that are awkward and can even kind of veer into hurtful. Well, let me ask y'all about this one, because I realized after reading an article that I might be asking a question that has become an offensive question. We used to live in South Florida and there were, you know, it's a melting pot, lots of different um, countries represented and nationalities. And it was pretty fascinating to get to know people from Venezuela and Colombia and just, you know, we were in South, South Florida. So to me, that was never offensive to say, oh, tell me where you're from originally. You know, where are you from originally? Mm-hmm. And, you know, here we are in Huntsville and there's still it's, it's there can be an international community and an international feel to it. And I have asked that of of several people, you know, oh, tell me where you where you're from originally. And, you know, most of the time I get people are, are excited that I'm interested and they want to tell me about where, where they are from. But I read an article that made me think, you know, that I need to be careful about that because maybe they have been. They, they didn't just come from another country or that, you know, their their family has been in America for many um, generation. So for me to insinuate that their country of origin is something other than America might feel offensive. So you know, I'm trying to kind of gauge that out. What? How do you express interest and curiosity about something that you are interested in and you want to get to know somebody without making them feel that they are um, in some way different? I think that part of it is tuning in to them and understanding, you know, the whole PC culture, we struggle with that and whether or not we, what to say and when to say it and how to say it. And, and, but to some extent, you just kind of have to feel your way through these things. And for some people, a question that, you know, you might ask one person that wouldn't be awkward at all might be very awkward for another person. I have, you know, I have two executives in my company, for example, and this isn't so much a question thing, but one of my executives that I work for is Latino, very boisterous. Um, he'll kiss you on the cheek. That's okay. That's fu- That's perfectly fine. I have another one that I don't think I've ever touched. He's he. he So I think it's a little bit of it is 
kind of knowing them and being able to kind of tailor your communication to what they would expect. Now, to an extent, you know, you can only do that to an extent because you're not inside their head. But I do think if you care about people and you want to be considerate, then, you know, kind of trying to sort out what's important to them and what might be an awkward to the, uh, question to them is is an important thing to do. I, I, you're spot on, Mary Scott, and you kind of <clears throat> stole my ending there. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> um, in all of these it's it's really easy. It's it's almost the easy way out to sit, to have a reaction to some of these questions and to say, oh, that really um, makes me angry. That really irritates me. That ruins my day. That makes me feel one way or another. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, nobody is, or hopefully, nobody is asking any of these questions to try in, in an attempt to hurt somebody, to hurt you. And um, that sometimes the the best way to approach being asked a question like this is, is to respond with, with grace and love and assuming the best intentions from somebody else. Uh, that's really all there is to it. I mean, yeah, it might sting in the moment, but it's not, you know, sometimes either as somebody who like Rachel mentioned earlier is it was, you didn't know what to ask, was just trying to make conversation, was trying to get to know you better and, and learn what makes you tick. And, and other times it might just be, you know, they, don't consider that question offensive and, and we're meaning no harm. Uh, I don't, I also don't think there's anything wrong with, with honestly telling somebody when they have hurt your feelings um, saying, you know, I really don't want to talk about that. Or um, that's really a, a subject that I, you know, I want to, I want to keep that to myself or I want to keep that um, between my husband and me or something, you know, something along those lines. Have you ever had um, an op- a, a situation where you had to tell somebody basically to nicely Shut up. Shut out. <laughs> Tenya, Nanya, Nanya, Nanya business. Tenyon business. <laughs> Tenyon business. I love that. Well, I did uh, read, I sure. did read somebody um, write as a suggestion at some point that if somebody asks you a question you don't want to answer, you could turn it back on them and say, huh, why do you ask? And I guess that's one way to handle it without actually having to say, you know, I find that that hurtful. Like, let's just say you're talking mm-hmm. to an acquaintance and you're not going to go into your your hurt feelings or whatever. You might say, huh, why do you ask? But I have had someone do that to me where I, I was just asking like, oh, t- tell me why you're um, why you this like a hobby. Oh, tell me what it is that interests you about that. And they said, huh, why do you ask? And I was <laughs> like, wait a minute. Are you are you offended? <laughs> And then it's kind of like what you were and saying. I asked about your crocheting hobby. It's like ever. And I think because I had read that article, <laughs> I was sort of primed to think of that question as a "I'm offended" deflection. And maybe it wasn't at all. Maybe maybe this person was just trying to have conversation as well. well and I think <laughs> but, something to remember with all of this is that if you if you ask an awkward question, and we all will, and and you know that your intentions were pure, don't worry about it. You know, you, if you need to, you know, say a quick apology, fine. But, you know, I, I think sometimes people can be a little sensitive too. you know, like if somebody came in and, you know, my hair is really curly. If somebody, if some little kid said, oh, why is your hair so, you know, huge, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> even adult awkward questions, but just, you can't be too thin skinned either. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for discussing all that with me and giving me some great advice. Um, I hope that we can all walk away from this conversation with some tools and um, the ability to react with grace and then also maybe to think once or twice before uh, we ask a a question of another woman. Um, So 
now is the time of the show where we go over the one big thing that we've been thinking about this week. So I am about to finish my second and last term on the Alabama State Board of Education. I was elected in 2010 and I'm about to finish that. And and it's bittersweet because I do enjoy the work and I enjoy the issues. Um, education is a passion of mine, but I am ready to have more time in my life for other things, for this podcast, for my profession. I need to spend more time on my career at this phase. So it's a leave taking. And I've been thinking about the importance of leave takings, whether you're leaving a job, going to another one or leaving a club or, um, or leaving your home to move to another place, the importance of leave takings and doing them right so that you don't have regrets. That's my one big thing. It seems like there'd be such a sense of satisfaction too to be able to say, I, I did this one thing and I did it for a long time. I did it well and be able to reflect on that and then just close that door and say, what's next? That's exactly right. Leave takings are important and doing them right gives you a sense of satisfaction forever, I think. And congratulations on two successful action-packed terms on the Alabama Board of <laughs> Education. Woo, Nellie, was it ever. <laughs> We'll talk about that another time. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> truly. Um, okay, so I'll offer up one that, and I, and I have to admit, and I already told Liz and Mary Scott that I had not thought of my one big thing. So my one big thing is now coming to me as we speak. But um, I'll just share a little, I guess it's a tip that I read. Um, I had an opportunity to go into Barnes & Noble by myself this week, and I found myself, like I always do on the personal development row, just flipping through books. And one of the um, books I was flipping through was on nonverbal communication, body language. And so this is kind of a big thing because I've been thinking about what we say through our body language. And one of the things that I thought was just a fascinating tidbit, and I'll add it as my big thing, is that um, if you are feeling confident about what you're saying, if you're feeling good about what you're saying, your hands will tend to do different things. And if you're feeling not confident about what you're saying, or you're maybe you're telling a lie, or you're just you're not happy with what's going on interiorly, your hands also will do things. Yeah, Mary Scott's waving at we, we can see each other. We're on video. <laughs> Y'all can't see us, but we can. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And one of the one of the actions that they said will come up if someone's feeling good on the inside is they will do what they call steepling of their hands. So if everybody puts their hands like a steeple where their hands aren't together like praying hands, but their fingertips are touching. So that's sort of a, a power pose, but it'll come out when people like, let's just say you're in a negotiation. You can tell if someone feels like they are Mary Scott's doing crazy looking ones right now. Um, but, <laughs> Sorry. But I just Can't thought, that help was, it. I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, not, yeah. not just to kind of fake it and, you know, here I'm going to steeple my hands to make it seem like I'm confident, but just to be aware of what you, what we're doing um, in situations where we do want to come across our best or are we sabotaging ourselves in ways that we don't realize. So there's my tidbit. Maybe next time you have to um, stand up and give a presentation or, you know, do something else where you need think to think about appear, what you're going to do with your hands. If you're confident, think about what you're doing with your hands. Exactly. <laughs> um, so my one big thing this week is uh, recently uh, we as citizens of the United States lost George H.W. Bush, um, a former president, the 40, 41st president, um, who was president when I was born which tells you how old I am. And I happened to be in Baltimore while he was lying in state in Washington, D.C. And a friend of mine uh, was standing in line to, to go uh, you know, 
be able to go into the rotunda and uh, observe the casket and observe the um, the members of the honor guard who were uh, standing vigil around uh, his casket. And he said, you need to come down and see this. He said, you're only an hour away. You have to do this. Do not miss out on this opportunity. And it's one of those things that unfortunately is not a once in a lifetime opportunity, but it it's, would probably will never be easier in my life to be able to do that. So I went ahead and at midnight that night after I had been working at this conference all day, I drove the hour down from Baltimore to Washington, D.C., stood outside in the 30-degree weather uh, for about an hour and then made it inside to the rotunda right at 1 a.m. Is, is right when I went into the rotunda. And the um, they were doing the changing of the guard of the the five members of the military. There was one from each branch of service, the Coast Guard, Air Force, Navy, Army, and Marines. And it was one of the more moving moments of my life so far, uh, just to watch all the people at one o'clock in the morning gathered around George H.W. Bush's casket, paying their respects. Um, everybody was standing there silently. There were several people crying and crossing themselves and and nobody would have their cell phones out or taking pictures or anything like that. It was just a very solemn moment that I'm glad that uh, my friend didn't let me miss. And it, it really got me to thinking a lot about saying yes to little opportunities and big opportunities like that. And, and just going on the adventure, going, you know, get, going on the road trip, going to see the friend, picking up the phone, um, just doing the, you're saying yes to the, to the little opportunities in life that we get, because you never know what you're going to miss out on. Thank you for that. May he rest into his final journey. What a, what a man and what a family. Well, thank you all for tuning in this week to Bell Curve, our lovely podcast hosted by me, Liz Bashirs, Mary Scott Hunter, and Rachel Briers. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. See you soon. Bye.